Hi, welcome to this episode of the VFX Show. I'm Mike Seymour, and I'm joined by the incredibly uh, talented Matt Wallen. How are you, Matt? I'm good. And the equally incisive uh, Jason Diamond. How are you? I'm great. I'm not the gray man, though. I'm Mr. Pink. Okay. I look like, so, the, red, <laughs> I look like the red man tonight. I'm very red. You're the red man. Yeah. Sure. I'm in winter, so I don't get out much. I'm obviously the white guy. <laughs> hey, um. We need your your honed skills to give a very analytical and uh, particularly precise analysis of this action thriller directed by the Russo brothers, um, which is briefly in cinemas, but basically a Netflix film, a $200 million uh, epic kind of action film, um, an adaption of a novel. Uh, it was, I think, in theatres briefly in July, but anyway, it's been uh, on Netflix since uh, the end of July and has been met with somewhat uh, mixed reviews, um, but it is a very uh, fast-paced film, perhaps with a slightly cliched script, but we'll get into it. Uh, of course, the film uh, stars uh, Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans as the sort of the two main uh, leads. So I guess let's start with you, Matt. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I... I... I have been hearing about this movie for quite some time before it came out. Um, they were talking about, you know, the Russo brothers are doing this, the biggest budget Netflix movie that's ever been done. And it's, you know, going to be this kind of star vehicle and all this kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> and the sort of promise was it was this sort of Jason Bourne like kind of story. Um, I, I watched it. I, I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I don't know how to say this politely. I guess I won't be polite. I thought it was terrible. It's a terrible movie. It feels like one of the most cynical uh, enterprises I've seen in a long time from, you know, some pretty big names. Uh, it's a story basically of uh, psychopaths uh, committing uh, endless uh, cold-blooded murder uh and snarking about it like i mean it's it's not a, it's not even like a good genre movie in that kind of genre of films like it's the most cliched lazy poorly directed terribly edited uh movie i've seen in a long time it looks it was just it feels like it was what all the press about it before it came out sort of said about the film being made it just feels like it's this incredibly cynical money grab where there's no emotion there's no i didn't care about any of the characters i mean it's one of the worst movies i've seen in a long time i actually think it's terrible so so if i could paraphrase one of your american presidential debates i've uh um because you just said jason Bourne. i've seen jason Bourne. i've watched jason Bourne. i like jason Bourne. this is no jason Bourne. yeah <laughs> <laughs> mr diamond do you share uh, your colleague's uh, somewhat pessimistic view on the uh, I, theatrical quality of this production? Um, I, the script was garbage. I mean, the fact <laughs> that this comes from a book is worse because there was clearly material in the book that could have made you give a shit about these characters. Like, I literally, the last movie that made me care less about the characters was Greenberg the Ben Stiller movie where when he was in a car for every scene in the movie, I wanted the car to crash and <laughs> his character to die. And in this case, I just, I had I didn't give a shit about the characters. And it's like, you have $200 million. This is my Christopher Nolan problem too. Like you have $200 million. Like 
Wait, 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 what? Wait, 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 wait. Well, I'm back, saying I'm back, back up, back up, back up. From a script perspective. Why is this like Christopher? Oh, come well, I'm on. I'm saying from a, from a, no, no, it's not as bad as a Christopher Nolan say, script. Uh, what? Wait, wait a second. Stop for a second. You can't possibly think that the script of this is in any way comparable to a Christopher Nolan no, script. No, no, no. I, I, I'm using it in a compa comparative way in that you have the, you have an inordinate amount of money and you should not be, you should not be stuck with lifeless characters that have no pathos at all. And because you have the ability to put it in there, A, to pay a good writer and B, to film it. And all I'm saying is it's, it's to, I agree with Matt. It is a lifeless film. There's, so, it's just a bunch of cool. It's like a great second unit reel. Right. So, for that's somebody. a great description. <laughs> so, so we, before we get into the visual effects, do we think that Ryan Gosling is having trouble carrying this film? Um, no. Is no. he the poor man Ryan's? No, no. Is he, no, no, no. Nobody. This is nobody. This is no actor. All the actors performed well. The yeah. film oh, is. Really? But I thought their acting is fine. I mean, for what they're given. Like, I mean, how can they? How can they turn in a, a award-winning performance on cardboard? You know what I mean? Like, it's not. You know, they're not Basquiat painting on the side of, you know, a, a canvas with chalk and mixed media. They're actors given garbage to do in a lifeless film. They look good. They act well. But what is their lines to deliver? I, I, I wouldn't fault the actors in any way. They were fine. Anna de Armas was great They with what they were given. So no fault of Ryan, Chris, or Billy Bob? I I'd I mean, I mean, I it's I don't know if you can put fault, you know, I I think I would I largely agree with Jason. I think it's hard to put fault with the actors in that, like, you know, they're, you know, they're on the day doing X number of takes, maybe with a few variations and stuff. And these are all good actors. But I think the way that they're being directed, the script uh, and the choices, I actually think the choices made in the editing room and the, all the things, all the sort of larger post-production decisions, the score, the way they scored, yeah. uh, different action scenes, the sort of, you know, it, it felt like it was trying so hard to convince me of these high stakes and the intensity of this narrative, but it's like, you know, everything down to like, you know, the, the little girl with the pacemaker and everything. I mean, it was yeah, like, it was like, like oh. Mac and me with the kid in the wheelchair, you know, I mean, it was so <laughs> dumb that I, it was just staggering it, how stupid it, is, it was. It is good how you have a GPS chip in a pacemaker these days. I think that's just what you really want. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. Uh, if, if we work from the inside out for a second, right, you hit on editing there. So let's just pick the massive, Prague kind of escape action sequence, just in isolation, right? Is that Forget the, the street, streetcar and everything? The streetcar, yeah. yeah. And like the he's handcuffed to the thing and they, mm -hmm. they send in they send in basically I was reminded of that line from uh Terminator, which was so much better, where it's like the police are here. How many? All, all, all of them. them. Yeah. It was like <laughs> send in the assassins. Which ones? All of them. Um yeah. and his ability to avoid being shot while sit, being a sitting duck, literally nailed down sitting duck. Um, so just if you take that sequence, forget everything either side of it, um, if you swap the actors and obviously a couple of minor plot points, could that have been a second unit James Bond sequence? And if it was, would you have bought it? Just I that mean, whole 
for my money, no. Like that was actually one of the okay. sequences I was thinking of talking about in terms of visual effects too, because I do think yep. there were things that stood out to me as being problematic and or just not executed very well. And you know, like the one thing in particular was the. Um, the the texture maps uh on the train it looked like somebody was like oh i've got substance painter you know and they went in and they made everything like have all these kind of scratches and details on it and they were they were sort of like perfect you know they were perfect in their um randomness their, yeah perfect in their randomness and displacement and whatever and uh they matched uh ryan gosling's hideous uh acid wash jeans jacket you know like it was like somebody <laughs> went to town with their you know um yeah, with their so with would, their texture would that maps sequence... and, and then and then okay. the the comps weren't very strong. A lot of the okay, just, but, but, the... But, but 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 before we get into the breakdown of the visual effects, I just okay. want to like just work my way down. So yeah, Jason, sorry. if that with that sequence, no, no, that's right. We we just established that Matt doesn't think that would work in a Bond <laughs> film. Would that have worked in a Fast and Furious ten? I mean, Which, you're, you know, scra let's face it. you're scraping the bottom of the barrel with that comp comparison. I mean, well, no, but they. I'm, okay, I'm not having a go at Fast and Furious, <laughs> but like they they have cars that literally swing on a rope yeah. to get across ravines, and they take right. cars into space. So they're not exactly in the same. <laughs> now, I wouldn't say that Bond is you know grounded in gritty documentary style, no, but it's no, but it's certainly the last outing was not that. So honestly, I you guys are talking about this sequence. I remember it, but it was so unremarkable to me that I'm having a hard time remembering a lot of sequences in this movie because they sort of, and, and I'm really good usually at remembering shit. And it's just everything just blurred together as the same fight over and over and over again, that it's, it's, it, it was exhausting to try so, to, <laughs> from an edit. And, and this is not from a visual effects standpoint. It's literally no, no, from I'm a, with you from a pacing and whatever. And this, I'm just wanted to say, cause I meant to say this before. I'm a fan of the Russo brothers. I thought they, they masterfully did Endgame and infinity war to take all of the disparate tones of all the Marvel characters and put them in one movie and kept all their tones without it seeming like a smorgasbord of one liners. I, I thought they very deftly made those films for what they are. So I expected a lot more out of them with the same budget and a much less complicated endeavor, you know? So yeah. I, can I, can I say, I'm not trying to bash anybody. I'm no, just no, saying like, no, I'm no. just trying to no, like formulate my thoughts on even these sequences that I just am having a hard time recalling. But, well, but I want to, I want to just agree with you because I tell you what I prepared for the show. I mean, I always prepared for these shows yeah. and I sat there and I had the hardest time remembering <laughs> what was in the film. And I've just seen it recently. Right. And I mean, I really had a hard time and I kept on in my brain cause I'm very visual. I'm like, you know, if I go shopping for a couch or something, I can say, Oh, like that's like going to be two inches too wide. Like I'm a very visual yeah. guy, not very good on spelling, <laughs> but you know, I'm very visual. And I swear to God, I kept on thinking, oh, no, that wasn't in that film. That was in that, uh, that, that film with The Rock, that other spy thing. Okay, yeah. no, it wasn't in, and I kept on going, the sequence in, no, that wasn't in that film. That was the other one. And I, I, for the life of me, I was struggling really hard. Okay, so spot quiz. Where was the first action sequence? So uh, the first well, action the fireworks one. Yeah, yeah. Where, they, where he's holding a flare and they're fighting with a flare. Is it like Taipei or something? Oh, I don't Bangkok. know. Taiwan? Who cares? Or Bangkok. You know? I mean, close yeah. enough. But, <laughs> but my point was, it was, there was just nothing about that that made you go, 
they're in Bangkok, right? Like there was nothing that oh, yeah. was like re no. remarkably, wonderfully, like, you know, like set up. There was it, like, it was like a movie without the wide shots. It was, it felt like it was <laughs> a movie that was, it was constructed around this concept of set pieces, right? And mm -hmm. yeah. each set piece was like, okay, so there's the first fight in whatever country or city they're supposed Bangkok. to be in. And he's, they're fighting and I think he's holding a flare, right? And so the flare is like no, creating fireworks. this- Oh, is that what it was? Like and then, going to fireworks. Right, and, and there's all the, the firework cannons around yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, I had like- to, I had to look that up. <laughs> yeah, and so, there, so the, the decision is like, I've got a great, it's a great, it's going to be a great fight sequence. It's going to happen around, you know, this amazing fireworks display and they're around all the cannons and the fireworks going off and the lighting is going to be crazy. And it, I mean, that's not a bad idea, right? You sort of hear that and you think like, well, okay, that could be kind of cool. Yeah, and the like camera could, moves up through it and you get dimensional- yeah, so you happening. sort of think like that could be really interesting. But again, like if you don't care about the stakes and the characters and anything that's going on, it just is irrelevant. And I think that, you know, when you when you were talking earlier, Mike, about the the hero scene and I and I started drifted off into talking about the effects yep. and things that were no, no, that's right. yeah. but the editorially, I think one of the problems with that sequence too is and I think they do this throughout the film, I had trouble with like the all the things we're talking about related to plot and script and whatever, but then the way they staged a lot of these scenes, there is a, a heavy use of like a drone camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the FPV. Oh yeah. Which, I mean, I, I like the idea of the deployment of those kind of tools. And in the fireworks scene, I think what you just said, Jason, about getting up above and sort of seeing the stuff from, from high up. And that's actually Moving kind of, it. It, yeah. it's interesting, right? That's new. That kind of feels fresh. But then when you're in that train chase or the train crash sequence or whatever mm -hmm. we get, and before that happens, when all those police are coming up and he's like, whatever he is handcuffed to a fountain or I don't even remember what he was connected to, but the camera's doing like all this kind of drone yeah. fly around stuff and it's tilting or getting those Dutch angles. And it's not interesting. It's unmotivated wow. and it's not heightening the tension. It's not heightening our sort of engagement and involvement in the scene. So Jason, as you're, I mean, obviously no, no disrespect to Matt, but as you're like the sort of the closest that we have to like a uh, hardcore cinematographer in that sense, mm -hmm. I would, postulate that what cinematography is facing at the moment is what computer graphics faced 15 years ago, which is the impossible camera. It mm -hmm. used to be that you'd have computer graphics cameras flying all around everything. And we were like, no, no, like make it more like a physical camera. And Pixar would do like Wally or something where they would actually move the camera like a cinematographer. Yeah. And we all went, yes, I love that. That's good. And now it's as if cinematographers or perhaps camera operators are going, yeah, I can do anything. And they're going, good, let's do anything. As a band, it's like cinematographers need to revisit cinematography limits the way computer graphics, virtual cinematographers. I can see for those of you at home, Matt is nodding a lot. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's so, so well said. It's true. I, Jason? I, yeah, I agree. I was trying, I was waiting to talk about this because when it first popped in as a non-traditional aerial shot, um, which, which is fine, like, you know, action scene, cool drone or whatever, like I get it. But like now that we literally with these small FPVs that you can put like a Komodo on or something, you know, like high quality, we now have a actual or possible camera. That's now a possible camera. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that it should be used for no reason though. It still has to be motivated to your point, Mike. And I found 
and what you said, Matt, is incredibly distracting when we're inside a location and they're flying the drone around people, which A, made me totally nervous about <laughs> blades and shit, but also, but all, cause I happen to, you know, like, yep. you know, the small percentage of the audience that knows how that shot's being done, but it also felt like a really bad steady cam. Like it didn't have a uh, energy that you would like if they had drifted in and made mm -hmm. you feel like a steady cam and then did like a like a big pullout or some sort of really, you know, high energy move or use of it within a controlled environment. It was like that guy who did that bowling alley shot in Minneapolis yeah. where yep. it flies mm -hmm. in the bowling alley, goes behind the pins, it comes back out. Yeah. It was like they had got that guy and he was like, I could do anything, man. Well, I have friends who run these companies with these guys and they're doing incredible shots. Yeah, yeah but, but, but the I'm shots reminded, have to be motivated. Exactly. I'm yeah. reminded by uh, by the Jedi Master Stu Meshowitz who once said about uh, a similar thing, right? Which was stop... Um, like a time-lapse photography, right? Mm -hmm. And he said, the thing about time-lapse photography is it's remarkable. It's spectacularly impressive technically. But if you ever watched a time-lapse reel that somebody sent you and hit the fast forward button and just skidded along to the end, right? Because while it's technically spectacular to watch lots of time-lapse, nearly always when you're watching those things, without any motivation, you just kind of get bored really quickly. I mean, ridiculously disrespectfully quickly and just run to the end of the, of the clip. And I feel like with these drone shots, the same is true that they're spectacularly complicated and wonderful and masterful, and they're just not very interesting. Because Matt, when I went to film school, as it were, I was told you had to have a motivation for moving a camera. <laughs> yeah. Isn't yeah. that kind of something that you kind of had in your career? For sure, in film school, I was, we were taught the same thing. Yeah, that like, you know, all your decisions and choices when it comes to blocking out your scene and figuring out, you know, uh, how you want to compose each shot, like everything you want to consider your characters, your script, like, you know, what's happening, what's the actual uh, moment in the narrative, you know? Uh, but yeah, I think it's totally the case. Like there's a huge amount of, you know, this movie is riddled with like the, every toy and technology you could employ mm -hmm. in the making of a film, but it doesn't, that all those tricks and and gizmos and toys that you can deploy uh it's it's a great example of an enormous amount of money spent with a lot of technical proficiency uh but very little like true craftsmanship and artistry so while we're on this point and i i love this film in with ambulance which is another one that was like mm. drone crazy i don't know if you friend, guys have... I, my friend's company did all the drones on that so mm -hmm. again, don't get me wrong. I would, you know, like never in a million years be able to pull off the stunts that they did yeah. and the uh, cinematography, but it just becomes forgettable. Yeah. Whereas I don't know if you guys have been watching uh, the old man. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. So this, so I was looking at the cinematography in that, and I was thinking about this film, the gray man, cause old man, gray man. Anyway, uh, in that there's a shot where two characters are talking and one of them there is what I would call a creep in that was almost so imperceptible that you couldn't really notice it. So imagine a two shot either end up talking on a phone. The creep in told me, informed me about that character's subtext and the lack of the creep in on the other guy informed me of his ignorance of the subtext of what was going on. And they have drones in that because they're surveillance drones, but mm -hmm. do they 
do they fly around? No, they have like these I, kind of shots where you are the audience unsure what's going to happen because of the lack of understanding that the drone is providing to somebody else. That I all underlines that, the... Yeah, I love that you brought up the old man because like when we talked about this last week, we just sort of touched on the idea of doing this show when we were just chatting, I think maybe before we started the show, but uh, we had talked about doing this, the, the gray man, and I had watched... I had just watched The Gray Man and thought like, God, this is awful. I actually watched it over a couple of days because I got halfway into it and I was like, God, this is terrible. And I stopped watching it. And then we were like, oh, we should do a show on it. And I'm like, yeah, fuck, I'll have to finish it, you know? <laughs> but I went and I, uh, a friend of mine that I I take walks with around the neighborhood here, like he was like, oh, have you seen The Old Man? And I was like, The Old Man? And he's like, oh, it's Jeff Bridges. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. I did hear an interview with him. He had left, he'd had Mm -hmm. uh, cancer and he'd gotten treated and he came back and finished the series or whatever. And I was like, I love Jeff Bridges. I'll check it out. I watched the first episode of the old man after having watched half of the gray man. <laughs> and within like the first episode, like whatever it was, 50 minutes, 56 minutes. Or something, yeah. Like it was so well-written, so well-acted, mm -hmm. so well-crafted one episode in, I was like, this is awesome. This is the same kind yeah. of genre they're putting forth the same effort but man this is this is really good it's well made and it feels like it's on the same level in a lot of ways it's a tv show so it's an episodic right as opposed to a, a movie but it it just was such a stronger like i was pulled in right mm -hmm. in a really deep way into like who this character is and how he's in the state right. and there's what's no backstory there's no exposition there's no backstory you just gotta like you're like, I'm intrigued. You've you've piqued my interest. Yep. And I now care about this character with the little information I have. I want to go on this journey with him to see where it goes. Now you could lose me at some point, which they don't, luckily. But yeah. th that is a possibility. But like the hook is set. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to chime in also from a set piece perspective. There are a fair number of set pieces in this in that show. The old man, yeah. I think. In the old man, the fight scenes are the antithesis of the fight scenes in the old in the gray man because they are almost always oneers, and there he's an old dude who yeah. is not as strong as he once was, but he still has the same skills, and yep. he's using those skills differently, and they're messy, and they're like people are out of breath, like it's one of the more realistic fight scenes. Not that I've ever fought an assassin but you know like it's, <laughs> no, well, he, does, he does have two very loyal dogs to help him yeah but I, I, I totally agree the uh in the gray in the old man uh there's a shot where the car is rolled over uh he's trying to escape from the yeah. back seat and they're literally like just both lying there kind of breathing catching their breath to try and kill each other again <laughs> yeah like, like it's like you can tell that they're hurting and they're just really deep in I mean, of course they're not because they're actors, but they're really reaching in deep to find the energy to do the next thing, which will require them to, you know, reach over and throttle this guy. And and it's so, uh, you know, like- It's engaging. Suspenseful, yeah, it heightens the suspense, it heightens the sense of peril. Like you feel like there's more anxiety almost as a viewer in watching it because you're like, I don't know, like you say, I don't know that that's what it would be like to fight an assassin, but boy, that, that <laughs> feels real. Like these feel like these are people getting like hurt. Whereas like- And there's consequences. Know, there are yeah, consequences. And, like he actually says, I have to stop and rest for a couple of days because I just had a fight, right? 
Whereas in the gray man, people get stabbed, they get like shot, they get whatever they do. And it's like, now I just had surgery, right? And I can tell you that you don't just get up like after you've had like multiple like stomach lacerations and just go for a ride. You, you, like, you get shot wait. in the back with a flare gun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, <laughs> no, you get third degree burns and it like yeah. you are incapacitated. Yeah, didn't and so, he lose a couple fingers too at one point in the- uh, oh, Chris Evans Yeah. It's like, yeah. But, but then he's just like, he's like laughing he just goes it like, off, you know? Yeah. He just goes, oh, damn it. And then like, yeah. and you're like, dude, you just lost two fingers. It's like, yeah. go to a hospital. <laughs> if they were going for something tonally in this movie where there was sort of this irreverent violence, you know, and this kind of irreverent humor in the face of grim violence, like it doesn't work. Like it doesn't, it does, they didn't land it in the way that they executed it. I, I don't think the humor, the I don't think the humor is meant in like the Shaun of the Dead way where, you know, violence is, is part of the comedy ish. Or even in like a, the boys oh. kind of way or something, you know? Sure. But I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, I disagree with critics that don't like uh, Bullet Train, which has just come out. I don't know if we'll get to do a show on the Bullet Train, mm. but Bullet Train, I liked it. I thought it was really fun and it had lots of violence and it was comical violence and comical stunts. And, but it was, uh, the criticism of there was that we'd seen a lot of these gags before because it was like, uh, you know, sort of of that, the gentleman or uh, uh, yeah. Two Socks and Smoking Barrels, kind of, you know, that kind of like, that genre. And I was like, I'm fine with that. Like it was a fun film. Brad Pitt was great in it. And I totally got that it was, you know, made up violence and that people would, you know, and, and yes, it was gratuitous occasionally with blood spurting out of necks and stuff, but that was kind of like, I was on for the ride and it was kind of a bit comical in a Deadpool-y kind of way mm -hmm. made by an ex-stuntman and, uh, you know, who also did Deadpool too. So I'm not against that genre. I like it. It's just sure. in this one, didn't have the comedy, didn't ha or humor, I guess it is, which I think works really well in a, in this gray man. If I was to try and add other the, the things that you've suggested, which are terrific, I'd add that when you get that tension and then have minor comic kind of relief, it's a release from the tension, and so it's a different type of humor. It's not the humor of Bullet Train or whatever, where it's just quite just laugh out funny at times or Deadpool, which is just absurdly funny, but it's like a kind of a, but you have to have the tension to have the release. Yeah, absolutely. And at no point have they earned the tension to have a release. So you don't get any of that the, kind of. The biggest problem. Yeah. That you, I think you really hit the nail on the head. It's like the biggest problem in this story is just that I did. I never understood what anybody was fighting for. Yeah. Like, you know, they're fighting what to protect, like the dividends of corporate shareholders, you know, I mean, what, like, what do they do? Like, and they're all willing no, well, to die well, for this stuff. Like, but also, why do they, why they, do they care? Like, what, they, <laughs> they set up like, this whole thing with Gosling in the opening scene where he's in prison and you don't know what he did to get in there and blah, blah, blah. And then you just find out later his dad was a horrible parent and a drunk and he yeah. shot him. So he didn't kill, wouldn't kill his brother. And then he's like, and then I spent the rest of my time in jail until I came out now. And you're like, wait, so Billy Bob went right. to get him out of prison because he was a like a teenager who shot his father. Why does yeah. that make him special? Of course, he trains after that to become the greatest super agent ever. But like what there's no parallel to draw from there. Like, yeah, okay. now the last the last point I'll make at this uh, halfway point in the show is have you ever in the history of cinema seen a bigger setup for a sequel than the brother is clearly alive and he's going to be in the next gray man part two? 
like, I mean, honestly, I didn't even think about it. I didn't <laughs> oh, either. I was just waiting for like the, like that was just this, hey, we're going to mention the brother a lot and yeah. we're going to make a big deal about the brother and then we're going to leave that unresolved because we need something to make the sequel with. And I'm like, well, I guess they said not only a sequel, but because it did so well, they're going to have the Grayverse expansion where they're going to have side stories and all oh. sorts of shit because everyone loved it so much. And you're like, they did? I, 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 I mean, yeah. subscriber okay. numbers went up, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. So, okay. So we agree that we've got plot problems. We agree we've <laughs> they've got earned tension. We've agreed they've got dialogue and, uh, and basically we just don't care, but, but we don't care because they didn't make us care. And they didn't yeah, give exactly. us, they didn't give us credit as an audience. I want to care, I, but I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. If you get, if you get a really interesting plot, um, with the, you can see that the scriptwriters have really thought this thing through, you kind of like, it's great fun, right? Like, I mean, again, yeah. using bullet train as an example, there was like some obvious things that played out during the course of that film. We haven't seen it that, that all start to add together and you go, Oh, somebody really thought about this and more than just post-it notes for individual sequences, which again, by the way, was my criticism of some of the Bond films going back a decade or two, where it used to be set piece, a bit of story, set piece, a bit of story. And yeah. you were like, okay, well, how long do I have to wait till the car is finished skating around on the ice with the, uh, you know, the machine gun coming out before we can get back to the plot. Okay. So that's that. Now let's talk about visual effects. Cause I cut you off before Matt, and that was terribly rude of me. No, no. You're about to make some <laughs> I incredibly- no, against no. against type, I jumped the gun and went straight to visual effects. Normally, I'm story talk for so long, but um, but yeah, let's just let's talk about that sequence. I think, what you were, I think, in that particular sequence in the in the train, like you know, I I could see and imagine what like that sequence looks like boarded. You know, like I could sort of imagine like seeing the boards for that and like going through and be trying trying to break it down and think, all right. Like what kind of assets do we need to do? Like what, how do we want to break this into sequences? Okay. You guys are going to do this. You'll, you all do that. And, you know, I could sort of see those meetings and I could envision what they were doing. I did go back and watch it a second time this afternoon, just that sequence. And like, cause there were things that stood out that kind of bugged me. And there's, I think a pretty significant uh, number of shots with digital doubles um, that didn't look that hot. Like there's, they don't, they didn't move quite right or they're on the screen for like maybe one second or two seconds too long where they give up the ghost and you know it's a digital double um <clears throat> i thought that there were problems i had with the texture maps on i think both the the roof of a car and on the train the roof of the train i just thought there would they like i think you said it perfectly the the uh, perfect randomness or something you know like to per precisely random or something um and you know, that's a, a small thing, but it jumps out at you. If you're used to seeing that kind of stuff, it just doesn't look right. Um, and then the, some of the SIM work that was done when the train, I think it comes off the rails, right. And it's sort of plowing into the cobblestone road. And there's like, there's, um, a lot of dirt and dust and stuff that's being kicked up. And some of those scale wise just didn't look very, uh, detailed or very rich. They looked pretty, um, they looked like, you know, sort of, early past simulations, like maybe the, if they had a few more layers in there, it could have filled it out a little bit more. Um, and uh, that in that sequence in particular, those were some of the things that really stood out uh, for me that it just didn't quite work. It, and the the gravity of the of the train and stuff, it just it it felt like what it was. It didn't feel like a real a real thing. It felt like it was a CG um, thing I was watching. 
I mean, I applaud Netflix for trying to make big budget films and Lord knows I'm super happy that uh, the people that, um, you know, like they employed got to oh, work yeah, on the films. Sure. It's just great, right? Um, but yeah, uh, I guess it didn't, well, I know. Jason, what do you think? I mean, I don't recall that sequence very well, so I, I, I don't have much to add to it. I, I do I do recall just having uh, maybe not as detailed as the texture maps, but um, certainly some physics problems on some of the larger scale things like that. Most of the visual effects heavy lifting, I believe, was done by Scanline. Um, Scanline has been bought by Netflix, so it's an in-house uh, thing. Oh, yeah, right. there's nothing... There's nothing wrong with that because like ILM, who I think also contributed, you could argue is in-house for Disney, right? Because mm -hmm. um, yeah. the same way around. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, there are a lot of other companies that, that did work um, looking at the list like Lola and uh, Yard and um, a bunch of other uh, perception. And as you'd imagine for a film this big, um, and I believe they did get the digital double scanned at uh, ICT at... Um, a USC ICT. Uh, it wasn't so, that the doubles looked bad. It was that they they moved. They didn't move right somehow. Like the physics of their motion. And and I think if you're gonna deploy those those kind of things, I just feel like you you got to be really careful in the edit. Like I think how long do you see them? You know. And there's a there's a shot or two where I feel like there there were two. I can't remember the characters now, but they were flying forward off the train or off the truck or whatever it was. And I just was like, ah, oh, no, you know. <laughs> Sven Gilberg, the guy who was the visual effects supervisor on this, or the production supervisor, did uh, Fall Guy, right? I think it was. Free Guy. Free Guy. Um, oh, right. And he's also did additional work with the Russo brothers before on the uh, the Avengers stuff and various other like uh, things like Captain America. And I, I thought Free Guy was really good. Mm -hmm. And uh, Free Guy's great, and, yeah. Yeah. So... Um, so it's what Tron, about the, uh, by the way, free guy is Tron. It's the same story. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Just, yeah, just funny. Cool. Yeah. Tron with funnier. Funnier humor. Yeah. yeah. Different Ryan. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, so we, this, this middle sequence is like notorious cause it took so long for them to shoot in Prague. It took like months and months and it was like the most detailed, complicated thing. My problem also from a, visuals point of view. Now this is a fine line here because it's sort of partly art direction, partly visual effects and partly just trait direction was the end sequence. Because I think you have a problem with a movie like this uh, in that you need to have a big finish because that's mm -hmm. what a film like this formulaically requires, a big finish. And it's always the case I find that you can end up looking like you're shooting in a studio. And for this case, they ended up shooting at this um, rather lavish uh, sort of French-esque chateau. Compound, kind of yeah. Compound, yeah. But, but in this sort of day and age, I feel like it's a little hard when that sequence all takes place in one sort of relatively small location. And it's just a matter of like knocking off the bad guys until you end up with a mano a mano kind of end sequence. And so that, that seems a bit... That fight in the fountain at the end, yeah. like in front of that chateau, like... Yeah. Are you saying they shot that whole thing on location and that that wasn't a virtual production kind of environment that do you know? No, I'm saying that I'm saying that it felt to me like a mix of uh, 
of, of, of solutions that felt to me like it was in a studio. Yeah. Like it, in yeah, in other thought... words, the takeout I got from it wasn't that this was on location or that it had okay. really good visuals that, I mean, that there was. Because that was CG the other sequence I was going to cite as being one where like it felt it, it, the same thing. Like it felt like this is supposed to yeah. be the, you know, coup de gras of the, like, you know, where we sort of the mono a mono kind of battle and it, and that it, it felt yeah, super, super staged. It felt like I thought it was yeah. a virtual production set where they had that yeah. big sun behind Chris Evans and a bunch of the shots. And, and I just sort of felt like, God, it, it really looks like they're just on a stage in front of a big led wall. Like it doesn't look, mm -hmm. it doesn't look like it looks bad. Like that's a bad use. Well, like blocking when we were, wasn't good either. Yeah. When well, we I mean, were talking think... about virtual production and like ways in which it works and where we were seeing maybe where, where like, Oh, it's kind of a stretch to make it work in some of these instances, like with the depth of field or whatever kinds of things we talked about in the past. This was one where I was just like, eh, God, like there's something wrong about that. It looks too clean or something. And the sun is so big and it's not, it's not like, and also um, there was the, so I would say that the Prague stuff looked like it was in Prague. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, you criticize the, the trainee car assassin sequence, but I don't think it felt like it was on a soundstage, but no. this end sequence had some characteristics that uh, telltales for that, which I think in addition to what you just said is this absence of mid ground. So what you have mm -hmm. is sort of like mm -hmm. some close stuff and then maybe some high fences. And then off in the way distance is like some yeah. out of focus trees and some sun, but there's no continuous, like if you're on a, God, if you're on Bridgerton, you know, which is like, let's face it, not the most realistic production. But when they're standing on a lawn outside a chateau in Bridgerton, which tends to have these kind of similar, uh, you know, obviously dramatic uh, artifacts of architecture, it mm -hmm. feels like they're standing on a lawn outside a big building. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> in this case, when they're standing around the fountain, it sounded like, yeah, uh, okay, well, we stick up the trees in the distance and we'll put the stuff close at hand that they have to actually sit on, but yeah. you can't really connect those two. Yeah, that's a good call. I think that's totally mm -hmm. one of the things that really sticks sticks out in that sequence is that it feels, it just feels flat and kind of empty. It's it, well, it's very it was very clunky too. Like going, you you're in, like the room they're in, the other people are in inside while they're waiting. It's like Anna de Armas and the other girl, and then like some of the techs. It, but it's like they decided from an art direction standpoint that it wouldn't be like a super high tech sort of like operations room. So it's just dark in there. Like you're just jumping from these dark environments with not a lot of energy to this outside environment that, or, you know, Ryan Gosling moving around and shooting people and with his like, you know, Rambo moves and we get it. Like he's the one man who can take out the whole assault, you know, whatever. He can kill all the assassins. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, it just, it, it felt very puzzle piecey. It didn't feel like, um, like there was a dramatic move, you know, where we're building to something like, of course we know he's going to fight Chris Evans at some point and that's fine. But yeah, it, it was just clunky. And then when you get to your big sort of, you know, good, bad, and the ugly standoff kind of thing in these wide shots, like, it's just like you're saying, like it's, there was just wasn't any, you know, je ne sais quoi to it. <laughs> and I don't think that we felt a connection, even from an art department point of view, between that interior room, the outside at the pond, and the top of the battle, uh, the 
balustrades or the whatever you want yeah. to call it, where they were running around battlements. Yeah. yeah, and so they were like three kind of conceptually, artistically, and even lighting design-wise, separate mm -hmm. locations. Yeah, and they needed to be at one. And so I couldn't have, if I had mud map, I couldn't say, okay, well, this is where they were shooting at the top and Billy Bob gets killed. This is where the pond is and this is where the room is. And I can understand that relationship. But I will say that's exactly what I could do in a Jason Bourne film. And not only mm -hmm. that, but I felt like Jason Bourne didn't know and he kind of discovered that and he'd rip up, I don't know, uh, I remember in the um, embassy scene, he rips off the wall a fire escape sign yeah. so yeah, he could actually see what the building looks the, like. The little rocky headphone he's listening to the comms and he goes yeah. out on the kicks out a window and goes out on the ledge and i was thinking of that exact sequence how like there's so much geography in that embassy yeah. sequence and i don't really know where he is but i feel like i know that building because i'm watching him suss it out and the camera moves and the sequence is is telling me a story visually about where we're going and where we are well even and the last mission impossible movie when tom cruise like fucking just takes off running and hightails it to the to try and catch Henry Cavill and then he's like running and they're telling him okay 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 make a left here make a right there and he's like hustling and then he gets to he sees him go in the door and then he goes up and he, they're running across that parallel roof and he goes in that office building and breaks the window like that could easily feel completely disconnected but because hey, granted they have someone talking in his ear but the way that it's blocked is you're seeing things in the distance you're seeing these these foreshadowing of future points in the story you know it's being connected in that way as yeah opposed all to that just, matters oh, no. as an audience yeah. it totally matters yeah and you can then put in tech because in jason right. bourne that shot where he jumps from one building to the next and the cameraman followed him on a wire behind him that's a techie shot. That's everything that mm -hmm. we're trying to pull off here with a drone. But it was a highly motivated shot. And the right. camera move was highly motivated because we got a sense of what it's like for a assassin to jump from one building through a window into another. Uh, and so we, the audience, became a part of that in a way. So that move was as clever and innovative as anything that anyone could have come up with at the time, I think. But it wasn't for its own sake. Yeah. And, and just um, not to veer away from all the technical stuff we're talking about, but just one thing it makes me think of when you're talking about the Bourne films and comparing it to kind of the similar genre. The other thing is that there's a tragic moral code, I think, that the all the people in the Bourne films kind of adhere to, even the the, the assassins who sort of almost apologize that they're doing what they're doing, you know, before they die or whatever, you know, there's, there's something, they're not sociopaths who, that was the thing in this movie that drove me crazy. It's like, there's the guy uh, with the glasses and the woman, and he's sort mm -hmm. of, she gets like, she says something to him and he's like, don't get so close to me. Like they're all so angry and bitter yeah. with each other. And they're all like so cold, but it's like, you don't have any sense that there's any, like no one cares about anything. There's no moral center well, to anybody's worldview. They're all just these like weird, crazy nihilists. Well, they, they tried to do that with the, with the like fake man on fire rip with the kid and the girl. Right. They right. tried to make it that like he just cares about her and that's it's all about her now. And you're like, why? Just because he's re she's related to Billy Bob, who you kind of don't like anyway. And but who like, was terrible a kid in this and movie, too. But he did babysitting. 
Yeah. That's completely different. Well, well, <laughs> I'm just yeah, I mean, it's, I'm just checking. It's I'm man checking. on fire, but I'm just saying it's the, it's the man on fire defense, you know? Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, that was, I, I don't mean yeah. to digress, but like, I just you drawing that comparison. It makes me think like that. Why do those movies work? And there's the technical piece, but then there's that other piece where there's some kind of like a moral code that's being followed where it gives you as a normal human being, I hope, you know, like a way in, whereas like, yeah. you know, I guess maybe some capital rioters would find this movie amazing because they're just killing all the time, but it's so stupid. I, I, yeah. I've got to say that if Prague happened the way they showed it in this film, it would be like the nine 11 of Europe, right? It would be <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. The yeah. most horrific. So many murders. Uh, well, yeah. And just a display of random gunfire. And, yeah. um, and I think that you don't need but one bullet to bring home senselessness. I'm thinking of now The Wire. In the TV show The Wire, there's a shootout between kids on the street and one child is looking up at a window and you don't realize this, but you cut to a shot later and the mother comes up and realizes that her child has obviously looked out the window and a random bullet has killed her quite innocent, like six-year-old. And it's so upsetting and so mm -hmm. traumatic. Mm -hmm. And this kind of like random shooting a gun and sort of not really aiming properly as you're running away kind of thing that he's so used to has consequences. And in that film, in that show, The Wire, which obviously is a spectacularly good show, yeah. it wasn't, you know, overplayed and it wasn't like, you know, melt for all that it was worth, but there was enough set up that they were rushing inside and she was trying to put kids in the bathtub so they because they were used to this kind of thing. In this case in Prague, it's like that the number of innocent bystanders that must have been killed and people that would have just had their livelihoods ruined and been, you know, either killed or, or wounded would be horrendous yeah. uh, for the display well, I of think, bullets. I think a movie that does that actually reasonably well was the uh the Godzilla movie, not the one Gareth did, but the second the one after that. Uh, was that it wasn't King of Monsters? It was, or I forget which one. Maybe it was the Adam Wingard one. Oh. It's but they they do a bunch of stuff with the characters on the ground while Godzilla is destroying the city and showing why the the trauma that you would experience. You know, like we as moviegoers are like, wow, look at Godzilla, it's amazing. And then to your point, Mike, you think about you know if this was real, you know, there's people who are huddling there thinking they're about to get stepped on. They look up and they see this giant thing step over them, their parents laying there, there's rubble around them. Like that is a connective thing. That's equally, equally like um, a spectacle shot, right? Like it's the opposite shot. It's the down up instead of the high wide. Um, and it gives you, it gives you, uh, it gives you clarity on what's happening in the world. So they could have done that. And I'm not saying they had to have done that in this, but there, there are ways to, to, if you're not going to have the characters be humanized, you could humanize the world they're in potentially, you know? Oh yeah. Like, look, I completely agree with you. And, I, and I would go further. I would say that six Ryan Gosling's character six didn't display empathy for bystanders. So if you're not going to play it for Deadpool comedy where, you know, you kind of don't, you know, like this car crashes at the beginning of Deadpool, right? Clearly innocent bystanders got killed, but most of the people that got killed are baddies in baddie cars, but it's so comical. So if you're not going to play it that way, if you're going to play it more seriously, then we would expect the guy we're meant to be rooting for to have some moral center about all of the people that were killed 
or at least some conscience about the fact that he well, have him save somebody like have just one moment of like something happens and he like you know turns the car to like bump a car out of the way and you see someone drive off in the opposite direction and he saved them like you just need those little tiny salt and pepper moments to help build the character and the flip side of that is i didn't get why chris evans was so psychopathically driven to behave the way that he did yeah. and just saying that he doesn't care and he's a psychopath and he's got an ego like that's not really enough like he was yeah he was almost if he had a curly mustache twiddling it with kind of mm -hmm. like you know yeah simon and, bar sinister yeah but not <laughs> enough that he was comical and not and he wasn't serious enough that right. you were kind of like like there are people that on screen that are you know really terrifying you've had those sort of characters where you go um this guy is uh you know i don't know maybe he's russian mob whatever he is no, anton Chigur, a, i think we talked about it not too long ago i mean there's a character with zero backstory that's terrifying yeah and that's but, it but you have to be plausibly scared of the dude as much as you have to empathize with six for the dynamic to come off so he was weirdly evil in every textbook sense and in no way scary <laughs> right. right and so another example is uh the joaquin phoenix movie that lynn ramsey made called you were never really here which is a very brutal film he's going to save a girl who's been kidnapped blah 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 blah, blah and he's hired to do so you don't know anything about him really throughout the film but you're given through his acting in the forward plot and these really bizarre almost informationless backstory bits that are textural and emotional mm -hmm. for you to go okay this guy has a problem he's willing to use his anger and his frustration to help people may not be the best thing legally but that's what he's doing and he's saving this person that's it yeah. we don't need to know his we don't need the Joaquin verse on that one to, to get a backstory, you know, as in a sequel, like we get it. It's a powerful film and there's almost no information. Lynn Ramsey is the queen of negative exposition and it, and it, it, it works beautifully. Mm -hmm. So it, it can be done in these, in this genre of thing. It's just, you have to still think that's about another it. great example in a movie that probably a lot of people haven't seen, but it's really good. <laughs> so so it's sort of like we've i think we're coming down on this point of view that it is neither a serious enough film that it's uh bornish and it's not uh sort of you're not rooting for the hero who cares about his dog the way you do with john wick so and then you're not comical enough to be deadpool or speed train or what uh bullet train or whatever to be like pulling off the kind of, you know, insanely silly violence that we don't really take seriously. And so you end up in this kind of, dare I say it, gray zone. Mm. <laughs> yeah, an appropriately titled film, maybe. Mm. Yeah, I think it's one yeah. of those ones where like the promise of the film, given sort of the pedigree of all those involved, including all the effects people and stuff too, like, you know, the promise was high. And I think, you know, where blame lies like i i can't say i mean i'm you know i i think we've we've targeted a few things like and i wouldn't lay blame certainly at the effects people at all but i th i do think that it's one of those things where the deliver the in the end like what's delivered what 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 came together as this film uh it just 
it's not the sum of all of its parts really like it's something it seems so disparate and disconnected yeah it's just soulless yeah yeah that's a good word yeah i i guess my thing is it's just so forgettable the short the shelf life of this film is going to be like you know three years from now no one's going to be going uh, quoting lines from it the way you do from Die Hard, remembering like no. those great lines from, you know, a Schwarzenegger kind of film, or even just joking about the funny stuff from uh, Deadpool. Or, you but know. you should be with this budget and with be. all these people yeah. involved. And you're certainly and, not, sorry, gonna, just going to say oh, no, it's not I, at the I, level I, of the other films that they've done, like the exactly. Avengers films. But I would say... You know, I, I I had a bunch of friends mention like, oh, have you seen, you know, the movie or whatever? And before I could answer, they were like, you know, I, I liked it. Like, I, you know, like what, what, like it's an action movie. What more do I expect? And that to me is like a dagger in my heart because it's like, you should expect a, a good film. You know, it's not the same as saying like someone goes to see a Marvel film and it should also work for adults. Like that is a targeted audience this movie is made for a much broader audience from kids ish to adults and so and so yes your expectations should be higher of this film than of a star wars or a marvel film and we've seen it work before we've seen action like heat like we've seen action movies work where we yeah, care sure. about the characters it's not it's not undoable Okay, so or non whatever gonna, my brain's not working. I'm going to set you a. I mean, that's right. I'm going to set you a challenge. Yes. Uh, come up with a film that was part serious, part comedy. So it wasn't full on silly funny, mm -hmm. but it wasn't also uh, you know like a serious serious like drama. Like I already a, have an answer, but you can keep. Oh, okay. Going. No, Steve, no, go, Steve, go, Steve go. Harvey, Lethal Weapon. Okay. Matt? Oh, I didn't know you were going to ask me the same question. A movie that's, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I dodged a bullet on that one. It's like I'm in <laughs> class now. Um, yeah. So something that's walks that line between serious and action. I mean, I, I guess like that, I, Jason, you kind of threw me into the eighties. It just made me think of yeah, like I know. <laughs> Beverly Hills cop or 48 hours or something, you know, like yeah, those kind of films where there's like a, there's a gritty kind of violent component, an action component, but there's also a, a levity and a humor um, with characters I, that I, you care about. I'll go the '90s and say the film that I wanted this to be for for my kids who are like you know at uni was what True Lies was to me back mm, in yeah. like '94, mm -hmm. right? Great, great, yeah, kind of gritty, yeah. but kind of funny, but shot by a really great filmmaker who knew when to be funny, but knew when to be serious, but still had great action sequences that never felt like they were just set pieces. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I reckon that that's what they should have been shooting for. Uh, so our, I think all our examples are good, but uh, I think that's what you, you, you know, if you got a true lies or something like that, then you love that film and, and you, you accept a whole lot of things about it. And yeah, it gets into an elevator with a horse, but you know, <laughs> I've been in that elevator. Yeah. The Bonaventure <laughs> hotel. So right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, it's a dramatic chase and, you know, it's interesting. And uh, yeah, anyway, so that's what we hoped it was going to be. And I don't think this one really landed. But uh, man, I wish I had because I loved 
I love yeah. those sorts of films. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And I apologize to those artists listening who worked on the film. <laughs> you must sorry. hate us to death, but yeah, sorry. Matt, where can people follow up and uh, and track you down if they want to complain? Yeah, if you want to complain, <laughs> you just come to my website. It's mattwallen.com and there's a link on there and you can email me or, or follow me on Twitter and send me a DM and tell me that I'm crazy. <laughs> Mr. Diamond? Yeah, same. You can DM me on Twitter or go to thediamondbros.com or come visit my virtual production stage and complain about my blocking uh, <laughs> at zerospace.co. Yes. Well, now I'm feeling a bit better. I'm very keen to follow up with an actual whole FX guide story on your virtual production experience, but uh, yeah. that's not for this call. Uh, we'll and of course, DM me on, uh, I'm Mike Seymour on Twitter, but also over at uh, FX Guide. And like, thanks so much for listening, guys. We do appreciate it. The next one, we've got a real treat in store. We're going to be uh, going, well, I guess, Matt, you're probably the, the best person. Do you want to say what we're going to do for our next um Yeah, we, we were going to do a, a sort of a deep dive and discussion of the Disney uh, Lawrence Kasdan directed sort of mini documentary series on in the history of industrial light and magic. Which is uh, particularly relevant to Matt as he actually was a stormtrooper. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I was at ILM for about eight years or so in the 90s. So. And and you have an incredibly deep perspective on this because you've been doing your podcast, which is? Oh, yeah, 8111-8111 is the podcast. And it's uh, I've got, I think, 65, 66 episodes now of wow. um and an hour or two hours, sometimes two hours, sometimes they're a little long, but it's basically all people who have worked at ILM at some point in its, in ILM's 40 plus year history. Um, and I ask people questions about like, you know, their background, how they came to, you know, be interested in effects, how they landed at ILM and people who do stuff, everything from computer graphics to um, people who work on the stage. I had a, uh, the first uh, female, uh, like pyro licensed pyro uh, mm. expert that worked at ILM for a while and um, all kinds of people, production, uh, CG, practical effects, camera people, um, supervisors, you know, technical directors. Um, and it's really, really software developers. It's so interesting, the similarities uh, in the way they, people talk and the culture and, um, but then maybe this is for the next show, but I mean, there's, there's many, oh, yeah. many, but I guess many stories and it's, it's really, uh, I think it'll be really fun to talk about for sure. Yeah. But with your perspective firsthand and from speaking to so many people and documenting their stories, uh, your perspective on the documentary. And then I think ours is just diehard fans who were, you know, I mean, I will discuss next time, but like, yeah, the first time you walk onto ILM. And going back to the original ILM location where uh, Pixar was born, this is like hallowed ground. So all of that coming up in the next show, uh, where we hopefully will be a little <laughs> bit more positive about the nature of our industry. But guys, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Mike Seymour. See ya. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at thefx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.